did welcome you. He also did mention uh, visitors. I just have one more thing I would like to uh, like to bring about that. I walked up the steps, which are right underneath me, by the way, and looked out the window behind me, and there's a nice license plate there that said, Ontario. Who owns that van? Back there in the corner. Okay. Thank you. As I was sitting there, some Canadians were ushered up front. I thought maybe I had that, but uh, welcome. My apologies. I don't even know who you are, but you're welcome here. <laughs> Thank you for coming. So we have some here from Ontario, Canada as well. So welcome again, each one. <clears throat> Easter, along with springtime, is an exciting time of the year. New growth, as we see the gr grass starting to turn green, flowers starting to push through the, gra the ground that was frozen for so long, and a new life appears. As well, I'm sure many of you saw robins, and of course the temperatures are rising. Last uh, yesterday morning, uh, I had the privilege of going to the airport, Philadelphia, to pick up Joelle and two of her friends, and we're driving back, and they started saying, looking out the window, obviously, well, look, the trees and the beautiful trees, and I said, well, that's, that's actually new for us as well. They come from Romania, they were there for a number of months, and they told me on the way back that they had a big snowstorm just this week, so... We are past that point, but here we are in springtime, and yes, today is Easter. Last Sunday, Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus riding to Jerusalem on the donkey, and the people at that time worshipped him, praised him, welcomed him, spread palm branches on the path for him to ride on. We can read about that in Mark 11. Then less than a week later, which uh, Brother Jared pointed out, we had Good Friday, then the tide changes ever so slightly. We think back how Jesus was falsely accused, mocked. The Bible tells us they spit on him. He was beaten. He was crucified on the cross between two thieves. That uh, type of death was the lowest possible that any man could take. And that's how our Lord died. A sad day as his mother and close friends stood by watching that scene unfold. His side was pierced. His blood was shed. Our Lord died. They laid his body in the tomb. We covered some of this in our Sunday school lesson. A large stone was rolled across the entrance. They made the tomb as secure as they could, so they sealed it. They even had soldiers stand by to guard it. Three days later, the grave was open. And those who were brave enough to venture inside found that the tomb was empty and the body of Jesus was not laying there. And that brings us this morning to Easter Sunday, resurrection morning, we could say, for death could not hold him. Think for a little bit about some verses in the Gospels that tell us about the events leading up to the, the death and crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and is there a phrase in your mind that sticks out to you every Easter? And it, <clears throat> I thought about opening it up, decided not. Maybe I, I had picked out a few, and maybe I'll, I'll come across yours. But so, just some verses or phrases of verses that you look at and it's like, wow. So let's uh, see if we can bring some, uh, if we can look at some of these. Here we have the soldiers on the cross. I mean, the thieves on the cross. And Jesus... Uh, as he was being crucified, Jesus said this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, from Luke 23. Did you ever stop and think about that? 
Have you ever been hurt? Offended? No one to this point, but yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them. That's the Lord that we serve. That's who we, that's why we are here today. As Christians, what is a Christian? It's a little Christ. It's an imitator of Christ. That's how we are supposed to respond in times of the hardest times, maybe the hardest times in our lives. This is another one favorite of mine. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly. And I, I picture this, the, 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 the Roman soldier at, at the foot of the cross. What a profound statement. This is uh, surely, the Bible says, truly this man was the son of God. I think I can say it without stepping outside the box, but what so many people failed to recognize, what so many people failed to see, this soldier said, you know what, this was the Son of God. Maybe that was yours. Here's another one. And I had said this earlier, the thieves on the cross, this is what I was thinking about. He said this, he was speaking to the other thief. He said, you know, and we indeed justly, for we receive due reward for our deeds. He said, you know what, to his fellow uh, thief, we're here because of what we have done. He said, but this man has done nothing amiss. And then he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Did he say, Father, forgive them before we get to this point, most likely? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This verse has just stopped me in my tracks year after year, so often. When we think of uh, the 11th hour salvation, if you will, at the very end of his life, after all that he had done, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Here's one we looked at in our Sunday school lesson this morning, Matthew 26, 28, 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Then they were told, come, come see the place where the Lord lay. In case you need some more proof, remember the stone was rolled back. Just step inside here, women, and see the place where he was laying. This is also another one I like. And they said among themselves, so the women are walking to the grave early in the morning, Picture them carrying the spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they're walking, they look at each other and say, Hey, girls, who's going to roll that stone away? We can't handle that. And we know the story because we're on this end of the things. No one needed to roll it away. It was rolled away. And they could walk right in and, and, uh, and see for themselves. I keep saying my favorites where it gets better. I like this one as well. <clears throat> Luke 25, 24, 5, and they were afraid and bowed their face to the earth. And they said, why seek ye the living among the dead? You see the women in the background with her spices? And the angel said, women, why did you come to the tomb, tombs to look for someone who is alive? You think of some profound statements and some things that happened back in the day. I'll get to that in a minute. I am not indicating that I would have responded any different than what, what we see here this morning. 
This is Mary Magdalene. She ran to Simon and to the disciples, and they said, they, I'm not sure who she was referring to, probably the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leaders, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. I repeat, maybe I would have responded the same way, but he was not laying down anywhere. And then the same day at evening time in John 20, verse 19, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. So I get to the point. Do you ever wonder, again, how we would have responded? You or I, if we would have, have been there. John, 8, uh, John 20, verse 8, Then went in to the tomb also the other disciple who came first to the tomb, which was John. And John writing this, and he said, And he saw and believed. The next verse was, is, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And it's interesting to note that when in our Sunday school lesson, even the the, the scribes and the Pharisees knew, or they said, go guard that, because he said he's going to rise again in three days. And here we see they did not know that. So were they a bit confused at first? I, I do believe they were. But here we see that John saw and believed. Later, uh, when Jesus was talking to Thomas, he said, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. And is that referring to us here this morning, among those who have not actually seen the Lord Jesus, but we still believe that he is alive? Just a few glimpses that I gathered from, uh, uh, from the events leading up to what we have today as Easter, some interesting tidbits, as I, I thought. Last Sunday, our Sunday school lesson was in Matthew 27. We concluded with verse 50. And this morning, we were started in Matthew 27 again and picked up at verse 62. But I'm going to look at a verse from Matthew 27. And uh, this morning, I look at verse 51. And yes, just a part of that verse. And maybe some of you teachers covered this in your class. We looked at it briefly last Sunday. Matthew 26, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The message title is The Veil of the Temple. And the first point is the temple. And I ask the question, what is the significance of the veil of the temple being, in, being torn in two from the top to the bottom? So let's take a, let's take a walk into the tabernacle. And we're going to enter through the east gate, which was called uh, the gate beautiful there in the wall. The gate always uh, was faced east. And as we go through that gate, we walk into what they call the outer courtyard. And the first thing we're going to see is the altar of burnt offering, also sometimes called the altar of sacrifice. And in Exodus 29, we see on here's where the priests were to offer two lambs each day, one in the morning and another in the evening. A verse from Exodus 29, verse 42 This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle. So again, speaking exactly where it was to be located, right close to the door. uh, The congregation for the Lord, where I will meet you and speak unto you. So there is the altar of burnt offering. We walk past the altar of burnt offering. Then we come to the laver. And this laver was made of brass. Obviously, there was water in this laver. And this was a place where Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and their feet offering, labor, and then we get to the, 
the first curtain. Uh, and this curtain, there was, there was a door in this curtain and allowed you to enter into the holy place. Um, so if you step inside uh, the first curtain, you're in the holy place. And here you will see on the left the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. That was in this place. And in Exodus 30, we can read a few verses about the altar of incense. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresses the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt offering, nor meat offering. Again, we're inside the holy place at the altar of incense. All this meat offering was put done outside at the altar of burnt offering. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, no burnt offering, no meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. And the end of the verse says, it is most holy unto the Lord. We're approaching where the uh, the presence of God was dwelling. And this is what um, the Lord commanded the people. You see the table of showbread there? This was to be set with dishes and spoons and bowls that were made of pure gold. You also see the candlestick, or as it's called there, the lampstand, made of pure gold. There was a command for the people there, the, the children of Israel, they were to bring pure olive oil beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil. That veil is talked about the other veil which goes into the most holy place which is before the testimony Aaron his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord it shall be statute forever unto the generations on behalf of the children of Israel so we we entered we went into the holy place as we wrap up our time there we're going to see the second curtain which is uh, between the holy place and the most holy place where the presence of God was dwelling now, if, allow me to jump into the New Testament for a few verses that explain this uh, clearly. For the tabernacle, there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick, Hebrews 9. So we're, this is Hebrews 9 taking us into the holy place. The first wherein was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Different words for the same place. Again, we have the holy place. They say it's sanctuary. After the second veil which is the one towards your, okay, towards my left. I think it's yours as well. The, um, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Now, in the holiest of all, which you see here is the most holy place, we have a golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot of manna. Remember the manna from going through the wilderness? There was a, pot of, a golden pot of manna that was in uh, the Ark there. Aaron's rod that budded, and the table of the covenants, which is the Ten Commandments. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. So we could say behind the veil or on the other side, we find the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark with the mercy seat. And in that Ark, they place that golden pot of manna and the Ten Commandments written on stone and Aaron's rod. So what happened here in the tabernacle? Hebrews 9 for a few verses. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests 
always went into the first tabernacle, the holy place, accomplishing the service of God. Now here's where we find Zacharias was in Luke chapter 1, when the angels, when the God spoke to him. Verse 7 of Hebrews 9, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So we find out what happened in all those places there. So let's step back outside the most holy place into the holy place and look at the veil that was separating these two places. So the veils we see there was a long woven curtain, three colors. There was purple, scarlet, and blue. And this veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And we saw there... um, We saw there the things that the holy place had three things in there and the most holy place had the ark and so on. So it separated those two places. Back inside the most holy place on the opposite side of this veil, as you see here the candlestick here, so we're definitely in the holy place in in this picture. But on the other side at the the ark, that's where uh, the the priests would would do the propitiation of sins, which would be the sprinkling of the innocent sacrifice's blood on that altar. And propitiation simply means appeasing the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. When the priest did this, once a year, it provided satisfaction to God for God for the sinfulness of man. And the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place only one time a year and only on the Day of Atonement. Now, this ritual on the Day of Atonement did not wash away sin. It simply settled the wrath of God. So if anyone, other than the high priest, would walk behind this veil that you see, that person would immediately die. Or if the high priest went behind this veil on any day other than the Day of Atonement, he too would die. If you go through... um, the Old Testament, especially Exodus and Leviticus, you'll see that God had given very detailed instructions for the functions of the, of the temple, and God expected obedience. So I did a little bit of research on this veil, and some say this veil was four inches thick. But allow me to add, the Bible does not provide that detail. But the veil was a protection against a casual act of overstepping into the holy place, most holy place, what signified the very real presence of God. So if you got to this place in the temple and the candlesticks and the priests were there, it was very unlikely you're going to say, whoops, I, I went too far because this veil was there. We all know the Bible tells us that no one can look at God and live. Exodus 33:20. God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4:24, And also Hebrews 12:29. So if you go back into the, the most holy place and you have the mercy seat, you have the glory of God shining above the mercy seat and it would destroy anyone but the high priest on the day of atonement. So this veil that we're looking at protected the people from instant death. The veil was a symbol of separation of God from sinful people. So a price needed to be paid for the sinfulness of man to restore that relationship with God. And we know, this, we know how it was, what was required 
and it was blood, similar to the blood of the animals in the Old Testament sacrifices. Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged without blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. So sin separated man from God, and blood was what needed to be paid to renew that relationship. But the veil marked the boundary between the holiness of God and the wickedness of mankind. And that's what we are up against right there. So up until this point in time, it was not possible for man to go behind the veil and enter the presence of God because sin had separated man from a holy God. The wicked and the holy cannot be joined together. And the veil symbolized the barrier that stood between us and God. So how did the people handle their sins? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the people relied on the high priest to go in before God with blood, as we saw, to make amends with God for their sin. And this they had to do year after year. So I think we're still standing right there where we see the priest standing, staring at the veil. But go back to verse 51 in Matthew 27, and the veil of the temple was rent. What is the significance of the veil being torn? So when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Is that how it looked? I uh, do not know. I looked for a picture and that's what we come up with. But nonetheless, the veil of the temple was torn in two and the Bible tells us from the top to the bottom. Again, this veil symbolized uh, man's separation from God. And that separation was removed by Jesus' supreme sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was without sin. And he had kept the law perfectly for us. His death was the satisfaction of the wrath of God against the sins of mankind. It's what he did that told God that he could that God was now willing to remove that veil. Isaiah 59.2 declares, Your sins have separated you from your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, so that he will not hear you. Before the veil was torn in two, according to that verse, God would not even hear us. Yet alone allow us to come to him or to approach him. But because Jesus paid our sin debt, we now have access directly to the throne of God. The barrier has been removed. The wall of separation has disappeared. And today, we will not die when we enter the throne room of God. But on the other side, we're, we're invited to come to him at any time. We can go directly into the presence of God by a new and living way, which is through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.20, By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So the way to the holy place, where, the God's, um, where God promises to dwell, was opened by the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood, and he removed the services that the priest did. Jesus removed the need for the altars. He removed the need for shedding the blood of, of bulls and goats. No longer needed. 
In our Sunday school lesson this morning, someone made to ask, and I forget who that was, but they said, I wonder what it was like in the temple after, the, after Jesus resurrected. The priest might have got there and said, well, our work is done. And the veil was, if you kind of picture it, well, the veil is torn in two. How did it, it look? So why did this all happen? But Jesus said, told us, he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And here we see he fulfilled the law. He paid the debt. Christ came to do what? To wash away sin. And in the process of this all, the Old Testament high priest simply lost his job. Hebrews 10, um, verses 10 through 14, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Then it takes us back to the Old Testament time. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Then it flips back to Jesus Christ. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Jesus offered one sacrifice, and there is no need for another. Sometimes here we sing, we sing here, what can wash away my sin? The answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're not going to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices, because that that's not relevant anymore. Nothing can wash away our sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. So what do we have today? We have a new way of access to God. And that was open for every sinner who trusts in Christ's atoning sacrifice. We don't have to say afternoon, run to some high priest and say, yesterday I did this, can you take this to God and, and make this right? We can go directly, directly, directly to the throne room of God and fall on our knees and pray directly to him. The Bible tells us, for whosoever believeth shall not perish. So who's the promise for? Simply, whosoever believeth. Matthew 2751 tells us the veil was, was written too, which we looked at. But then Matthew gives a little bit of information. He tells us it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. What was the significance of, of the veil being torn in two from the top to the bottom? Like I mentioned earlier, and if you do some research on the veil, uh, you'll find out that the size seemed to be an item for discussion. I seriously expected it to say the veil was this size and that was it, but different places have different sizes. Either way, this veil was not some small curtain that you might see hanging across a large window in someone's house. The veil was roughly 30 feet tall and 20 feet wide, and again, could have been, according to some places, up to four inches thick. What we do know, it was so heavy that it took 300 priests to handle it. So it was not some, uh, some thin sheer fabric. But you think of that amount of people to handle the, handle the veil. But the point that we want to make clear here this morning is that no one could simply tear the veil by themselves. 
Matthew 27, 51 is not indicating that um, the Jewish leaders or the Roman soldiers are responsible for that. That's not, not the case. It would have taken more than human strength to tear it. And tearing the veil uh, took the mighty hand of God. God stepped in and tore this veil, which represents the removal of separation from God and man, something that could not have been done by human hand. The veil was torn in two by God and by God alone. No one else can remove our separation from God but God himself. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Since Jesus' death atoned for our sins, Jesus' sacrifice allowed the veil to be torn, and the separation between God and man was removed. Let's say the veil was 30 feet tall, and let's say it was four inches thick. The top of the veil was at a, a spot, a height where no man could reach it, also affirming to the fact that the veil was torn by none other than the mighty hand of God. <coughs> the significance of the veil being torn from the top to the bottom, along with the fact that it was torn, um, is that Jesus' sacrifice makes it possible for us to come to our Heavenly Father. This morning, regardless where you are at in life, regardless of where you are, you can call upon the Father and He will hear you. Man was created to have a relationship with God. Adam sinned and separated man from God. And ever since Adam, man was born with a sinful nature. But from the day Adam sinned to the day Jesus was crucified, God had that sincere desire to reconnect with mankind. And he has that desire today. The death of Jesus Christ reconnected man with God. The death of Jesus Christ reconnected man with God. Why? Because Jesus paid that debt that was due. So what's the conclusion this morning? All who call upon the Lord will be saved. We're not standing like that high priest before the veil, waiting for that one day of the year where we can step behind and make that sacrifice to God. Today, those who put their trust in Jesus have access directly to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains, God made him, speak of Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, in him, Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I trust that every day we thank God and thank Jesus for what he has done for us. But here's another, th- another thing we can just thank him for. We probably read this numerous times. I know I did. And the veil of the temple is rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. But when we stop and consider what it means for you and I. <clears throat> so the veil of the temple was torn in two. But what else was torn? And the answer is that Jesus Christ himself was torn for our sake. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the, transgre- for the transgressors. We know the story well. His side was pierced. 
Nails were driven through his hands and feet. Why? Because of our sin. But why? To reconnect us with God. He paid it all. Wiped our slate clean. Now we can come directly into the throne room of God. Today, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's interceding to God on our behalf. Some more verses in Hebrew. So beautiful, make it so clear. Seeing then that we have a, high pri- a great high priest that is passed into heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Somebody finish the verse. I caught you off guard. Let us hold fast to our profession. So we have that high priest. He's there for us. He paid his price. He paid the price for us. What's our response? Let us hold fast to our profession. Verse 15, For we have not a high priest that which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the one verse was talking about our response. The second was what he did. Now it flips back to our response. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That veil of the temple is rent in twain. That wall of separation, the barrier, call it what you want, has been removed. Regardless of how thick it was, it's gone. And we, you and I, can come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ replaced the Old Testament high priest, and today he is a mediator between God and man. Through his death, the barrier between God and man is removed, and today we have access 24 hours a day, every day of the year, to come into the throne room of God and communicate with him there. You know, 15 words that mean so much. The veil of the temple is written twain from top to the bottom. And what's our response? Excuse me. Thank you, Jesus, for providing clear access to our Heavenly Father. And here's the challenge I'd like to leave with you. May we take full advantage of this blessing. Regardless where you're at, I'm not going to encourage you to, to only pray when you're driving, but I will tell you you can pray when you're driving. And please don't close your eyes. He will hear us. He, we have a loving Heavenly Father. What did I say earlier? What does He desire from you and I? Relationship. Was He happy in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned? Absolutely not. What does He want today? Relationship with you. Once a year? Absolutely not. Each and every day of our lives. In closing, if the tomb wasn't empty, I would be. If the tomb wasn't empty, our hope would be. If the tomb wasn't empty, our hearts would be. Only because the tomb is empty can life be fulfilling. Those of you who were at, or who knew Dan Hurst, or who were at the, the uh, Unir funeral would know that he talked a lot of heaven and meeting us there. And this morning, brothers and sisters, may I echo exactly that. Life on earth is short. Seventy years for Dan, maybe less for you, maybe less for me. 
And as I mentioned, uh, I was talking to one of the family. Try to picture going through what the Hearst family did without the hope of eternal life. As hard as it is with that hope, just try to imagine going through it without it. And this morning, I'd like to say, you know, we're just so thankful for what Jesus has done for us, for you, for me. The way has been paved for all who believe. If you're here this morning and you have not yet made that choice, I just call out. Jesus is there waiting. Nail prints in his hands, hands spread open. Matthew tells us, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The tomb, brothers and sisters, is empty. We serve a risen God. He gives us new life. He said in John, I am the, way, or the only way to the Father. I, you must go through me. So let's not try other, other methods, other ways, but just come to him. Hands open on their knees saying, Lord, I made mistakes. But then you remember the thief on the cross. No, I'm not encouraging anyone to wait to the 11th hour. But my point is that he had, the thief had done wrong. Everyone knows that. Jesus knew that. He said, what? Today. Because when he said, Lord, remember me, Jesus knew he, had, he asked, was asking for forgiveness. And he said, today you were with me in paradise. No one, no one, no one, no one has sinned too much or made too many mistakes that Jesus will not accept them. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. It was mentioned in our Sunday school class that the open tomb is not so let, to let Jesus out. We know that. But it's to let, so that, let people in so they could see the tomb is empty. He's not there. We serve a risen Lord. God bless you as you go throughout your Easter a day. There's a lot of meal, a lot of food being prepped as we speak. God bless you as you head for your tables here this afternoon. Have a wonderful day. Remember what Jesus has done, not only today, throughout the rest of your lives. As you travel back north, wherever you're headed, God bless you. Safety as you guys go. Just God be with you till we meet again. We may never meet like this again, but there's a day coming we will meet again. May we all be faithful. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you here today. Just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you, God for your willingness to go to the cross. And Lord, when you said it is finished, that veil of temple is rent in twain. You fulfilled the Old Testament law and you ushered in the new. And Lord, today we are just so thankful and grateful and excited that we can come directly to your throne room and approach you each and every day of our lives. Whenever we, have to, whenever we cry out to you, you will hear us. What a blessing, God. All who call upon the Lord shall no doubt be saved. And I pray for each soul here this morning, God, that all would do exactly that. Call upon the Lord, and you will give them, will be with them and, and give them eternal life. Thank you for your, your blessings, for the way you have paved, and help us, Lord, just to walk from the straight and narrow which leads to glory. Give us wisdom. Give us direction. May we be faithful to you each and every day of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. We have a song, please.